Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey, Sammy. Well, hello, Griner. Um, are you okay? Do you consider yourself a creative person? Um, you know, yeah, I, I get creative with my words, but sometimes, you know, painting and drawing and stuff stresses me out. I think I'm creative, though. <laughs> Just giving you an honest answer. <laughs> well, then, have I got an opportunity for you. <gasps> Tell me more. Uh, that we've got an event coming up. Uh, and by we, I mean Adweek, which you may recognize mm. from such places as being where we work. Interesting. Uh, Adweek has a great event coming up called Elevate Creativity. Uh, I am happy to plug this one because uh, I've been helping coordinate it. It's going to be a very creativity-focused event. It's only half day, so not a huge commitment. Not asking you to fly out to Vegas for three days, although that would be cool too. <laughs> uh, this is going to be right in New York City. Uh, it's just half day, taking up the morning. And man, do we have a killer lineup. Would you would you like to hear who's coming? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Okay. Uh, keynote uh, presenter is going to be no less than the CMO of Burger King, Fernando Machado. What? Uh, yeah, he's going to be talking about all the great stuff that they've been doing around the world and in America with multiple agencies. And they have a lot to talk about. They are really, uh, as a brand, one of the biggest champions of creativity right now. We've got some really fun panels. Uh, basically, the theme of this entire event is going to be uh, kind of how we're the industry is moving from the big idea to the long idea or finding a way to combine those two. Mm. So, you know, it's like, because this is a short-term world, right? Like, everything seems so quick and, you know, rapidly digested. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're trying to kind of talk about campaigns and strategies that get around that and find ways to kind of stay in culture and stay in people's minds. On that note, we've got a panel about coming up with enduring ideas in a short-term world. We've got Colleen DeCourcy, the one of those two CCOs for Wyden and Kennedy, our global agency of the year. We've got Samantha Devey, who's a comm strategist for Droga5. Uh, we've got several more people that are, we're just waiting on confirmation. Some really cool big names going to be on that panel and also on our other panel, which is about called an, it, it's called an Advertiser's Guide to Saving the World. So it's mildly ambitious. Yeah, just a little bit. We're going to be talking about basically how you can create long ideas that help change people's behaviors and their ideas and the way they, they perceive things, whether it's social or political or environmental. Uh, so basically how you can make the world a better place through marketing and creativity. Uh, we're going to have the president of McCann, New York, Devika Bolchandani, who is an awesome uh, executive in the space. Obviously, they did Fearless Girl, but they've done uh, tons of other uh, can, you know client work that has really proven the point that an agency can 
uh, come up with things that drive conversation over the long term. We've got Jason Harris, the CEO of Mechanism. They're going to be talking about all their work on um, the UN campaign, uh, which is a huge, massive in scope uh, global goals campaign. We've got several more. We've got Eddie Oparo, who's a partner at Pentagram, going to be, and he's an author of graphic design books. He's going to be doing a Q&A about creating visual brands. Man, there's so much. I don't even have time to tell you all this and squeeze it into this ad. So I encourage everybody to go to adweek.com slash elevate. That's adweek.com slash elevate. You can learn about tickets and get more details. I'm going to be there. Hopefully you'll be there soon. I'll be there. And also it's my birthday. So I'll be there with that. <laughs> That's <on>. right. <laughs> all right. Well, we hope to see all of you there at adweek.com slash elevate. Learn more about Elevate Creativity. You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. It's the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative editor with Adweek. With me as she is each week is Sammy Main, our social editor. How are you, Sammy? Oh, I'm good. It's a sunny Friday in a fake spring of New York. What could go wrong? <laughs> uh, you guys will have like seven inches of snow within the next two days <laughs> oh, now, that, now that you've enjoyed any weather whatsoever. <laughs> also back in our scenic Hell's Kitchen headquarters is AJ Katz staff writer covering the TV beat. How are you, AJ? I'm well. How are you today? It is... Um, great. Yeah, it is not warm in these parts, but what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the endless New York <laughs> spring for you. Uh, I won't tell you that it's like 70 degrees where I oh am. Gosh. In yeah, Alabama, listen, but, my yeah. mother lives in Florida and I'm trying not to be bitter about it right now. <laughs> Well, we have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, happy to have AJ on to talk about streaming. Uh, we we had an episode a few weeks ago with Jason Lynch, our colleague, talking about TV and uh, what you know what are some of the biggest breakout hits in the TV world. We're going to focus a little more on streaming, your Netflixes and your Hulus and your Primes and all, and really dig into what we're into, what we're predicting, and uh, lots more. But first, let's get to the news. All right, I wanted to start with the most important news in the marketing world of the past week. It is not the lingering fallout uh, from the abrupt resignation of Sir Martin Sorrell, the most powerful man in advertising. No, it is, in fact, Heinz's announcement that they will move forward with a combination mayo and ketchup product. Sammy, uh, what's it been called so far? Okay, thank you for making me say this word out loud once again. The term they're going with is mayo chup. Mayo chup. (sighs) Mayo chip, which uh, there are better out there. My favorite uh, is probably Tomeo. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So there's some there's some decent ones out there that <laughs> mayo chip just it sounds like like it's an Aztec term for like, you know, it's just it's it's got a cool sound to it, but it sounds very like guttural. Yeah. Um, it's a, there's anyway. too many soft sounds in it. I don't love it. <laughs> It's got like almost every vowel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So Heinz basically did a uh, Twitter poll where they said if 500,000 people vote yes, the actually actually the options weren't yes or no. It was should we release mayo chup in America? And the options were yes, pass the Heinz mayo chup or nah, I'll make my own. Um, and so uh, they said if, if more than 500,000 people vote, so it really didn't matter the percentage that went to each one, but if more than 500,000 voted yes, uh, then they would release it. More than 500,000, almost a million people voted. More than 500,000 uh, selected yes, and uh, yeah, so we're getting some mayo chip. They have not, however, decided on the name. That is their newest Twitter poll. You can go dig up Heinz if they're still doing it by the time you listen to this. 
you can create your suggestion. I think some of the most common ones are things like fry sauce, uh, which yeah. is a term that's already used in a lot of places. That's like a regional um, term. Yeah. 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 I, I, I've heard that a lot out West. Uh, you know, it's, um, it, it, uh, you know, you can add some pickle relish and just call it Thousand Island dressing. Yeah, it's real close <laughs> to a, that, man. Also, are we just so lazy that we can't simply yeah, squirt two different condiments together? <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Well, you know, like mayo, mayo, it's kind of a pain to work with. You know, sometimes it's like it's it's more gloppy. You got to get the knife out and like. True. I mean, I don't. If you're using a squirt bottle of mayo, you've kind of overcommitted to mayo. Okay, don't look like in I, my <laughs> fridge. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Relatable Sammy millennial lives her life problems. By <laughs> don't, don't have time over for jars. To me. AJ, what's your take on mayo chip? Oh, oh gosh, I don't, I don't even know. I, I love the name. I, I think. <laughs> do the, you? I, oh, I think it's phenomenal. <laughs> Would I, you use it? No, I, I, I do not use it. Okay, I do not. But the name is uh, interesting. It's, <laughs> it, 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 it's fun to say mayo chub. I like how AJ's just like, don't drag me into your inane no, podcast no, no, bullshit. No, no, I like it. Mayo chub. That's great. It's it, important work it, for the advertising industry. It rolls off the tongue nicely. Ugh. Well, I will give I will give Heinz praise for they did a good job of turning like a kind of a discussion into something bigger. I think anytime you can roll and this is not a huge I mean, it's it's logistically got some challenges for mm-hmm. them to roll it out in the states, but it's a product they already sell right. in other parts of the world. It's a product that it, you'll find in Hispanic markets, uh, you know, especially sold by other brands. There, there's nothing really new about. It. And again, it's basically just Russian dressing, Thousand Island dressing with like a few less ingredients. Uh, but I thought it was a good example of how a brand can kind of build and leverage some of this discussion. And it's one of those things that pops up as a conversation of, hey, does anybody else do this? You know, combine <laughs> these things. And the next thing you know, you've got a major product yeah, coming out. Yeah, that's nice. Maybe it's the, it'll bring us all together. All right. Well, here's hoping Mayo Chup can solve all <laughs> of, all the world's problems. And uh, again, if you got a name, uh, drop us a note at uh, podcast at adweek.com. Let us know what you'd prefer it to be called or what two condiments you'd like to see mashed together. <laughs> Uh, that are already out there. I'm just shocked that curry, I mean, you can get curried ketchup in America, but after I had curry ketchup for the first time in Britain, I was like, in Germany, I was like, why don't we have this every day? Interesting. I don't think I've seen that. Oh, it's so good. Like put that on a, put that on a currywurst in, in Germany or in a, uh, just have it with fries in Britain. Oh man, curry ketchup. It's good stuff. All right. Let's move on to slightly more newsy news. Uh, this was one of those just nice, like, eat the rich kind of moments. Uh, there was a, a new, it's not a new rule, uh, but Dodd-Frank, the, uh, you know, the Wall Street reforms, had a rule in there that said that companies had to disclose the ratio between what their CEO gets paid versus what their average or median employees get paid. Uh, and it's finally being enforced. So I think this is the first year that the SEC is really making publicly traded companies do this. Advertising obviously has several publicly traded companies, uh, quite large holding companies that own most of the ad agencies in the world. Uh, they haven't all had their announcements yet, but the first ones who've really kind of come out of the gate with their earnings calls who have had to disclose this are Omnicom and IPG, two of the very large uh, holding companies based in America. Uh, and man, the numbers are. Woo. Well, those are some that's that's some differential just to see it. I mean, we all know, right? We all know CEOs are paid <laughs> just grossly phenomenally more than us like grunts. <laughs> but 
still, it was, oh man, it's something. So, okay, let's look at the numbers. Yeah. Omnicom, uh, 2017, their median uh, compensation for an employee was $40,000, basically 40230 bucks, And it described that as a full-time staffer in Chile. Uh, makes that much. So again, these are global corporations, uh, and that does somewhat lower. Like what would be a full-time salary in America is usually going to be quite a bit lower overseas, uh, but 40000 bucks basically for a median Omnicom employee. Their CEO, John Wren, got $24 million. So that's okay. $24 million compared to... Oh, that's hard to look bucks. at. The ratio is 596 to 1. <laughs> Jesus. So uh, oh, <laughs> the... Not not too much better off is IPG, Interpublic Group. Uh, the median employee there, 63900 So a little, little, little better, probably because they're, I don't, know, I don't know this for certain, but I think they're a little more North American-based. Uh, so 63900 for the median employee. Their CEO, Michael Rothgott, $17 million. Uh, So the ratio is 264 to 1. Uh, not quite as bad as Omnicom, but still, you know. Just a reminder that someone's getting paid six, 264 yeah. times more than you. No, is always it still fun. stings. <laughs> um, it is worth noting that both Ren and Roth uh, both took pay cuts in the last uh, year, about $1 to $2 million less, not dramatically less. But, you know, they are acknowledging that they're making that you know that they're taking in less money there these companies are having a rough go of it i mean we've talked about this a lot it's been a recurring theme in the discussion of martin sorrell leaving wpp that the agency world the agency holding company universe is it's having an existential crisis well, for a variety that, of is reasons is that adding to this discussion too of like how much they're making in comparison to how the industry is struggling yeah i mean i think it, it, this really highlights the fact that a few years ago martin sorrell made a um, 100 million dollars mm-hmm. um, which was uh 1444 times <laughs> <laughs> the oh, average employee uh-huh. so a 1444 to 1 ratio um <laughs> You know, it's oh, it just it's so makes that. me angry, and also I can't do anything about it. <laughs> there's just going to be some rich people, I guess, sometimes. Yeah, and I mean, there's again, it's like we're all aware of the reality of what it takes to find and retain this kind of executive, you know, talent. But on the other hand, when the industries and when these companies are not necessarily performing all that fantastically, it makes it a lot harder. And also, their clients do not super love seeing these numbers and being reminded that the same agency's telling them, "Oh, sorry, we can't do." That, oh, sorry, we're going to have to like renegotiate the rate or you're going to have to pay us more if you want us to do that are the same or, or, you know, in some cases struggling to retain talent that the client mm. likes working with. Uh, you know, this was all profiled in an agency spy piece that Patrick Coffey did on our, for us on our agency spy blog. And he talked about clients saying, you know, supposedly, according to reports we were getting from other agencies saying, uh, you know, they they can't afford to keep the creatives I like working with, but they can afford to pay their CEO you mm-hmm. know, tens of millions of dollars. Right. So, again, just a bad time for a lot of this discussion uh, because the industry and these companies are having such a, an existential moment of, of does this business model even make sense? But, man, you know, just a reminder that some folks are going to be making tens of millions uh, while, while we figure this question out. And they will probably, like uh, Sorrel, you know, kind of just step out of the limelight and be like, I'm good now. I'm just going to go swim in my vault of money while, <laughs> while you – while you peasants figure it out. A la so, Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that was my TV tie-in just for AJ. Just, I, just I, I appreciate it. I, I'm aware. <laughs> I like it. 
All right. Well, um, definitely, uh, you know, we'll keep an eye on this as the industry, uh, you know, as more of these earnings calls come out this year. But I, I just I really do think that this kind of compensation story, especially as we have tons of mergers and acquisitions. We had another story this week saying that mergers and acquisitions in the agency world are up like 126 percent or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, so, you know, there's there's a lot going on here uh, with the the whole business model of advertising. And I think a lot's going to change in the next year. But that is for a later podcast podcast. Let's move on to something a little more fun. Let's talk about ads worth watching. All right. We had a lot of good ads uh, that uh, we've been writing up the last week. Some were more print, uh, mm-hmm. more visual, so they didn't really lend themselves. I think our most popular one was the uh, out of, uh, where was that? Ogilvy, India, uh, maybe. But uh, it was a Spicy fried chicken KFC ads uh, that replaced all the fire in big photos with spicy fried chicken mm-hmm. that looks like fires, so like the space shuttle taking off with spicy fried chicken coming out of the boosters and a rocket car blasting spicy fried chicken. And I believe the Power Rangers, or at least a standing yeah. for the Power Rangers, <laughs> standing in front of spicy fried chicken explosions. That people went nuts for that campaign. It's just a great visual, but those things don't work as well in the podcast. Uh, did want to talk about one huge campaign release this week. Under Armour and Droga 5, one of the big combos in advertising. They have made some of the biggest award-winning ads and just some of the most ambitious ad campaigns. They are back with a new campaign called Will Finds a Way. Uh, this place that they had their Rule Yourself campaign for quite a while. Uh, they created some really stellar ads. Will Finds a Way gets re- uh, debuted with a big anthem spot starring The Rock. Dwayne Johnson, he's back to going. Going, didn't he go through a phase where he wasn't calling himself the Rock anymore? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, he's he's all over the place. That, I think that he guy. phased it out, but also he can't get rid of it because that's his whole thing. Well, I yeah, think he goes by I mean, the like, Rock on like uh, social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he it's still in there. Does it. Yeah, there was like a phase where he seemed to be, I am Dwayne Johnson, and uh, you know, I think that was when he was getting into Hollywood, mm-hmm. and right, you yeah. know, now I think he's recognized that it's it's not so bad, <laughs> you know. <laughs> The Rock's a good nickname. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is back in this anthem spot where he introduces eight athletes and inspirational figures. Uh, it's kind of hard to summarize these folks. Some are like martial artists and some are stunt people on you know Hollywood sets. And some are just kind of inspiring tales of overcoming adversity. But most of them are athletes in some way or another. And they all definitely fit within the Under Armour kind of oeuvre of ultra ambition and, uh, and you know, persevering through anything. Let's listen to a little bit of the anthem spot with The Rock introducing us to some of these folks. So how do you make it? How do you overcome the odds? There's Natasha's way. Be shy, focus on yourself, till they focus on you. Or Juana's way. Why be one champ when I want to be two? Be like Yusra. Let nothing destroy your dreams. Screw fate. Or you could be like me. Dream of pro football, get hurt, dream over. Find yourself with just seven bucks in your pocket. So how did I get here? By being the hardest worker in the room. How are you going to get here? So that main spot uh, was directed by the Malloy brothers, uh, but then all the other pieces of the campaign were, uh, which I actually enjoyed a little more because I, I wanted to dig into these stories. You know, The Rock like sets mm. them up 
and we get to see these folks, and it's a nice spot, but I really wanted to know more about the people. And so those were uh, directed by Super Primes. Uh, Natalie, I think it's Kangillum is how you pronounce it. Uh, and uh, they, they're they all over the place visually. There's not necessarily like one firm aesthetic for each of these. They obviously adjusted it a little bit to match each of the characters. Uh, so, well, characters, I mean, these are real people. Speaking of which, I wanted to talk a little bit about who they are. Uh, we've got Olympic sprinter Natasha Hastings, uh, Olympic swimmer and Syrian refugee Yusra Mardini, uh, NBA point guard Dennis Smith Jr., Chinese martial artist and actor Zoe Zhang, uh, judo world champion Teddy Reiner from France, uh, stunt woman and American Ninja Warrior Jesse Graf, uh, and an 11-year-old state boxing and gymnastics champion named Javon Wana Walton. Uh, and then they they're also include a guy named Johnny Agar, who's really fascinating. He's a triathlete with cerebral palsy. Uh, and he, I think, actually got connected with the brand because he remade their famous Michael Phelps spot, uh, the rule yourself spot where, you know, it's this very kind of dreamy Michael Phelps uh, ad, mm-hmm. not dreamy in the, <laughs> like the, <laughs> not in the dream Patrick Dempsey way, way but... like dreamy, like kind of nightmarish. <laughs> uh, but it's it's one of the, one of the greatest ads, haunting, good one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's what we actually use in the headline. It, it's uh, one of the, the best ads of all time. He recreated it, uh, actually, sw- you know, swimming and doing each of the things, that recreated it shot for shot and Under Armour loved it and they posted on their own channel and then they included him he doesn't have his own standalone video but he's in the anthem spot with the rock uh and very very interesting all these are just great did you guys get a chance to watch any of these yeah it's it's one of those things where it's also like car commercials for me where it's like would love to be that kind of person who needs this kind of advertising uh like it's not going to motivate me to actually go and do but it's really, really interesting to see all of these stories, I think. In that way, it did remind me of that SNL sketch from like two weeks ago of the um, the Nike (laughs) outfit. Yeah, it's like the the first athletic wear designed to just chill on the couch and (laughs) order order food online. Yeah, now that (laughs) I can see myself in. But I just like that they were acknowledging like, you know, yeah, we love centering our ads on these tremendously inspirational figures, but how many of you are out there becoming American Ninja Warriors versus just like, I mean, I'll probably spend 20 minutes on the treadmill and then go hit Starbucks. (laughs) Uh, And I, you know, I think the, these ads kind of lack the visual drama of some, Mm -hmm. you know, this is one criticism I've had of Droga in the last few years is that, uh, that Phelps ad is it, it is one of the greatest ads of all time, and so maybe it's a little rough to hold you to that bar, but whatever. It's the same agency that made it. I just – I feel like that's an ad you'll never forget. That's an ad that you you know will, will stick with you and will always be talked about. These – this is a campaign. You know, this mm-hmm. one is just like – there are a bunch of people. There's The Rock. There's certainly a recurring theme of determination and, and kind of tenacity. Mm-hmm. But there's not – it just doesn't have that thing. It's not yeah. an ad. It's not necessarily striking or new in any way. Like I could certainly be wrong, but I have a hard time picturing this one winning a gold or a grand – I mean maybe a gold. Winning a Grand Prix at Cannes the mm-hmm. way that Phelps has and some others have just because it doesn't – it tells too many stories right, almost. right. And they're great, and they're really inspiring, and these are amazing people. And that's why I enjoy those standalone spots more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I also feel like I'm getting a bit of rock fatigue. Mm, you know, is he in too much for you? Yeah, I mean, he just did that Siri ad. Um, you know, where and and he, he just he's popping up everywhere, and it's kind of 
watering down the punch of like now when you see the rock you're just like yeah 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 there's the rock yeah you know i mean he's all of our social media too i mean he's posting constantly he has all these videos on facebook and on instagram and you you know you feel like you see him on a different talk show every night and you know he's he's everywhere but you know he's he's a good guy at heart so i you know i i like seeing him but yeah you can absolutely make the argument that there's a, a little too much rock these days Dwayne. Yeah, he's becoming it's becoming like the physical fitness Oprah. You know, he's like this <laughs> I like that. This uh yeah, and, and I mean, which cool. Like he's a very positive role model, so it's not like I'm complaining. It's just one of those where it, there's so many. Any he, and he's starting an ad agency. I mean, we're going to oh, be wow. seeing a lot more from him. Um but uh but yeah, I mean, it's it, great work. Uh, I think each of these standalone spots tells a great story. I don't know if it will be remembered and celebrated the way some of the the kind of real memorable spots from Droga and Under Armour has, but uh, it's it's definitely some some really great stories. So check those out. You can look up Under Armour and Droga 5 on Ad Week and you will find those spots. And uh, yeah, those are that's the ads I would recommend watching this week. But let's move on to our big discussion of the week. All right, AJ, it's your time to shine. Yes, sir. Let's talk streaming. <laughs> All right. So first, I was hoping you could kind of give us a lay of the land of streaming world right now. You know, is this still Netflix's world and the rest of them just living it, or are you know Hulu and Amazon Prime and is it a much more competitive set than that? And and how's it? I don't know. Kind of what's the state of the the streaming universe right now? Yeah, I mean, it's still a Netflix dominant world. Um, you know, when there are seven hundred film and TV projects being produced uh, by Netflix this year, and they have an eight billion dollar content budget, so. Um, <laughs> when you have that much money, it's, you know, it, it's, it's still your world. Um, so they're still dominating the space. Um, you know, and in terms of other streaming services, Hulu and Prime still put out great content, but really, you know, when you have that type of budget that Netflix has, it's, a uh, it's Aren't they also them. in like a huge amount of debt? <laughs> like, they are in a huge amount of yeah. debt. Yeah, it's, yeah. They uh, they spend a lot of money, and mm. um, you know the debt is there. But you know, again, when you have a content budget like that, they're putting out great content, obviously. But you know, it's um, it's still their world, and we're mm. all living in it. Um, that being said. Disney, um, you know, as long as this deal goes through, it's still pending. Um, you know, the fifty-two point four billion dollar deal uh, I'm speaking of to acquire 21st Century Fox and its film and TV studios and its cable channels and its entertainment studios, all of its properties um, that's supposed to go through um, the summer of 2019, um, assuming all goes well. Um, but again, you know, that has to go through the federal government and you know that process always takes a while but um but yeah so you know netflix again is dominating the space right now but um disney um is is on its heels and again if this goes through they're going to have a massive library they already have lucas films and they have pixar and espn and marvel and then if you know if they add fox they get x-men fantastic four deadpool avengers so um they're having a pretty dominant lineup coming up. Um, so, yeah. Well, I, th I think we're all really excited about them getting Fantastic Four. Yeah. yeah. Totally. <laughs> the, real, the real highlight of that. Yeah, it's... Um, 
the the bad superhero movies starring uh, Michael B. Jordan. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, but and it also is going to really change the landscape of Hulu, right? Yeah. So aren't Disney and Fox like part owners and in, in this uh, agreement? Am I remembering right that are, uh, Disney yeah. will get their piece of it? They will indeed. Um, you know, so that that's also a significant piece of the pie here. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be. Interesting to see what happens um, when all this goes through next year, assuming it goes through next year. But yeah, you know, for now it's um, still Netflix that's dominating. Um, so yeah, well, we'll let's we'll let's see. get let's get really personal here. Talk about what we actually personally pay or subscribe to, and uh, kind of let, let's just start there with the and what your device of choice is for streaming. I'm just kind of curious. Sammy, why don't you start us off? Okay, device. I'm an Apple TV girl. Uh, I enjoy it. Um, what do I subscribe to? I use Hulu and its live TV service. Um, so you kind of get both all in one. I do still have commercials. It's fine. Um, I enjoy that very much because you get their whole library and you can actually watch things that are happening. It doesn't have every channel. I don't think any, uh, OTT streaming live cable thing has every channel at this point. So it's kind of pick the one that has the most stuff you want to watch. Um, I do that. I also have Prime, um, which I'm trying to use more of for their libraries of stuff and Netflix uh, and my friend's family's HBO Go <laughs> account. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, for transparency's sake. Sure. And uh, AJ, what's your setup? Yeah. Um, so I have Netflix um, and then, you know, Showtime and HBO. But as someone who covers uh, news for a living, I have not cut the cable cord yet. Mm. I you know, still have cable. I watch as often as I can, um, you know. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much a, a Netflix guy, HBO, Showtime. Um, but, you know, I, I still watch my sports and I watch the news and um, I, I do so on cable. So. Yeah, and what's your what's your streaming device setup? Um, I I really don't have one. You just use just your like laptop. A, I just use my laptop. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Oh, for Netflix. Yeah, mm. yeah. I guess I'm, I'm old school. Uh, I don't I'm know. On, <laughs> I'm on like my like seventeenth Roku. <laughs> I feel like I got the I got the very first Roku, and I've gone through I think every generation of those. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, I have we have two rooms with TVs, and Netflix lets you have two you know, simultaneous things. So on the off chance we do, like if our kids want to watch something and we want to watch something else, in reality, in reality, we never have, that's not a situation. If my kids are distracted watching TV, we're like cleaning or something. <laughs> but, um, but in an ideal world, we could theoretically watch different things on those. Uh, so I have like the Roku, I don't know, four or whatever they're on now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's like the vast majority of where I go my streaming. We, we're... Um, we're like the, the those really obnoxious uh, subscribers who we pick up HBO when Game of Thrones or Westworld are coming mm-hmm. on, and we and we pick up Hulu when um, it, you know if The Handmaid's Tale is coming back, and then we cancel them. Nice, and like, <laughs> I dig it. You know, I it's just, that. Like we watch maybe an hour of TV a night on a on a great night. Mm. Like if we have if we if our kids go to bed and stay in bed, then maybe. I have an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, we usually watch, watch like one or two episodes of something on Netflix, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. So, honestly, it's just not worth if they. It, it's like there's not a lot of time where I sit there flipping through, you know, True, browsing right. for things to watch. Sure. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, mostly Netflix day to day and, and quite a bit of prime. I enjoy that now I can just buy movies on prime mm-hmm. uh, and just have them there. And so that our library has actually gotten larger than our DVD library, yeah. uh, you know, which we still pull out every once in a while, but like, <laughs> it's, man, it's nice. It's nice owning those digitally. And like, if you're traveling and you could just pull out a laptop, yeah. you know what I mean? It's yeah. just, it goes a long way. I a, don't even own anything that can play a disc at this point. Sorry. Yeah, you know, we <laughs> it's like we we used to joke that like we still have a DVD player set up in our in our living room in case we want to watch Lord of the Rings extended mm-hmm. edition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And <laughs> my kids are my kids are finally old enough that we did that the other day, so Aww. I was actually really glad to have that set up. Anyway, um <laughs> that's that's enough personal stuff. I just was kind of curious to get the lay of the land of everybody. It sounds like we've got a pretty interesting range, but but probably pretty normal. Uh definitely uh before we get too far, I would encourage everybody like drop us an email podcast at adweek.com. Uh, to let us know if you've, you know, if you've got a, if your setup has changed a lot too in recent years, I'd be yeah. curious to hear that. Um, but uh, one thing that we didn't really touch on in the state of the streaming industry, which is probably telling, is these standalone streaming services like CBS All Access. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are those doing, AJ? Or any of them? Is that yeah? I mean, well, you know, I, I think they're happy. I know just at least CBS All Access. Um, I know I think they're happy with it so far. Um, you know, they have five million subscribers combined between All Access and Showtime. I think there's pretty much a fifty-fifty split. Um, and I think they're thinking about 8 million subscribers by 2020. Um, so that's a lot. Um, you know, you have Viacom coming down the pipe um, with their service and um, NBC. And, um, you know, so you have a, a, a variety of streaming services that, that, are, um, that are on right now. And, you know, uh, CBS All Access, they have Star Trek uh, Discovery. And they have a good fight. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, I, CBS All Access, I think they're pretty happy with it right now. And they want to see where it's where it's going to go next. I, I like the model that Amazon has really embraced with these kind of additive services where, like, I'm a Prime subscriber, but it says, like, oh, you know, you can add stars onto this mm-hmm. uh, for, for X much more month. And then, boom, it's just there. Mm-hmm. It's just in your Prime app. Uh, yeah, or, Hulu I, there's has a few. that, too. I think a lot of the cable streaming have, like— Either slightly discounted or just easy to add on to uh, more premium, quote unquote, services. Yeah, because it's just it's just as a user experience. Like once you go past two or three streaming services, it's a real pain in the butt. Like you know, it's it's just not worth the trying to remember. Like I I still occasionally do the song and dance of like. Okay, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Two is out. Let's <laughs> let's go to the five different services and see who's got it for rent, yeah. you know, versus like the buy only. And man, that's a pain in the ass. And and so like it's it's one of those things where I I think this this is a nice elegant solution of if they can find more of these partnerships of hey, do you want to just tack this on? I feel like the first time I saw that, I was like, this is the future. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just makes it easier. Well, well, speaking of the future, let's talk more about this Disney, uh, the, the potential of a standalone. Now, we had our Twitter chat uh, this past week every Wednesday uh, from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we have Adweek chat on Twitter. And one of the questions we threw out this past week uh, was, do you think the Disney, uh, if Disney launches a standalone streaming service, how much of a game changer will it be? Sammy, you were running Adweek chat. What was kind of the general take there? A lot of people were saying, you know, I was wondering, too, if it means, you know, canceling other 
subscription services, if it means you are adding another standalone <laughs> to your library. And it, it seemed that people weren't anticipating getting rid of anything they're already subscribing to. Uh, they also seemed to think that it was kind of very good news for parents of children, uh, of young children specifically. I guess parents are parents of children. Uh, so I think people were excited to kind of have access to that library. A lot of millennials were like, where are my Disney Channel original movies? Because we grew up <laughs> digesting those like every week or whatever. Cadet Kelly. I don't know. There's lots of good ones. Um, so I think people were hoping for that. And if, if that does happen, I think that's um, they'll have the millennial vote <laughs> in that election. Um, but yeah, I don't think people were anticipating getting rid of anything. They were generally excited to have kind of everything in one place and the most excited people were people who have young kids in the house. And AJ, tell us a little bit about it. You mentioned this in passing, but I mean, how how much of a disruption could this be? I feel like like overnight we could suddenly have, you know, a player on par, maybe not, I mean, not maybe even on par with Netflix in terms of the sheer scope and the budget that, that they would bring to the table. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's extraordinary. Uh, again, if they get Fox, they'll add X-Men, Fantastic Four, Deadpool, Logan, um, the Avengers series to this Disney library that already has Lucasfilm and Pixar and you know Disney Animation, Marvel, ABC Broadcast. So this streaming service, I think, will definitely give Netflix a run for uh, for its money. Now, do you have any sense of what would happen to Hulu in this situation? I mean, if you have a major player in the ownership, I mean, Hulu's this weird, like, five-headed monster of, of all the different corporate owners that went in on it. I mean, would Hulu still exist, or do you think it would fall apart? I, I think it'll still exist, but it, it'll, it'll definitely be a, a shell of itself, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see it becoming, you know, someone like NBC basically just becoming the the core owner of Hulu, like mm -hmm. it, because it already feels like the NBC streaming service, you know, yeah. it's like, it, that's first thing I think of in terms of programming, uh, which maybe isn't fair, but it is what it is like. Uh, and you know, depending on the year, it's like, we talk about here a lot when we have Jason, uh, Jason Lynch on it about how different networks, kind of flare up each year's and on the NBC years when they're really hot. Mm -hmm. Those are the years that I'm like, eh, you know, maybe we should stick with Hulu for a bit. Yeah. Uh -huh. Um the uh you know, I definitely think it it that would be the first one where I really had to sit and think about okay, am I going to keep Netflix at this point? Mm -hmm. But I think the reality is that Netflix there's always going to be value to this non-specifically owned it, like an aggregator, basically, yeah. of content. Because Netflix is where I go to find things like The Good Place, mm -hmm. which I would never have found The Good Place if... Wh what network is that on? That's NBC. Um, yeah. So that's one where, like, you know, a Disney-owned streaming service isn't going to introduce me to that. Right. That was just... got licensed out to... to uh, it, it, you know, yeah. and it did the exact thing. I know a bunch of people who went and bought all the episodes of season two, mm. uh, be because they loved it so much. And, um, you know, so, and same with, um, my parents just bought like the entire season of uh, soul survivor, no designated survivor. Mm. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Um, the ABC show. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they like found that on streaming and they were like, this is great. Let's buy them all because mm -hmm. they don't, you know, and, and so so that works like that's an effective model. And I think there will always be some value to that um, on that on that note, just so that while we're talking about things that we have discovered, uh, what are some of your favorite shows either recently or things that you continue to stream pretty consistently? Sammy? Oh, boy. I mean, I feel like each platform might go for different things. Uh <laughs> 
<laughs> Let's see if what I've discovered. I love a lot of Netflix originals, and there's also been a weird influx, or maybe it's just my algorithm, of soothing British reality makeover shows. <laughs> there's a couple about remaking family gardens that are very great, uh, in addition to kind of the Great British Bake Off, which is a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so good. Um, what else am I kind of watching on there? I mean... Netflix is where I get to watch Gilmore Girls. Netflix has also been producing a lot of original, uh, like, rom-com films lately um, that are kind of fun. Um, I don't know. Netflix is where I don't – the best new comedies are. And then kind of of network, I would say NBC is really good for that too. Um, There's, like, a very specific dark comedy. I think there was a tweet once that was, like, uh, any comedy on Netflix, you don't laugh at it though. Like, it's still very dark, <laughs> but they're all still very funny. Um, let's see. I don't know. And then Amazon has a few libraries of stuff now that I'm getting into. Uh, I am also mostly watching Bravo and Real Housewives, to be honest, which might be why I can't remember any other shows right now. <laughs> I will keep up with everything Bravo produces, except for their weird spinoffs of their classic shows. Uh, talk to me about Southern Charm. Okay, bye. <laughs> AJ, what's your uh, what's your kind of your either your ongoing streaming stuff or your most recent obsession? Yeah, well, I mean, I've been watching the uh, Netflix stand-up specials as mm-hmm. of late. Uh, the Ricky Gervais special. Uh, he's one of my favorite comics, and that special was unbelievable, um, astoundingly funny. So that was great. Um, I've been watching Mindhunter, um, which I, I'm, I'm not sure. It, it, if you guys have heard of Mindhunter, but it's, you know, it, it takes place in Quantico. It's about the FBI and, mm. you know, it, it's a story of, of the FBI and how it's changed over time. Um, so that's one of my favorite shows. Um, oh, okay. I did. I watched the pilot of that um, about the the guy, like, it starts with a hostage standoff. Right. Am I thinking of the right That's one? exactly yeah, right. That yeah. Was, yeah. That was interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I recommend that. Absolutely. Um, I watch Homeland. Um, and then I watch, uh, John Oliver still. So, you know, I guess some of the, uh, some of the more mainstream shows are, um, are some of my go-tos. Yeah. That's allowed. My, my, my current, uh, my current favorite is, uh, Santa Clarita Diet season two, uh, is just some of the best writing I think I've ever seen on television. Season one was, was good. Uh, I enjoyed it. I always have to give the big caveat to people that it is gory as hell. Yeah. <laughs> that, that might be show, why I man. haven't tuned in, but it looks very yeah. interesting. It's I mean, it's very funny as dark. Yeah. Um but See? but not dark not dark in the usual dark comedy way, just like like they are literally just ripping people to pieces. Yeah. Every, every, you know, Drew Barrymore is ripping people to pieces with her teeth mm-hmm. and because she's some kind of like living zombie thing. Um and yet they manage to do that in this kind of weird, like, they, they, they typically make sure that you know that these are bad people. Mm, right. <laughs> sharing apart in this, like, the comically. The of zombies. Yeah, it takes place in this moral universe of, like, you're either really, really good or really, really evil. Mm. And, and, you know, or at least mildly annoying, apparently, is good <laughs> enough to be torn apart. Um, but the the just... The, the the parallel universe that they have created in this where they just kind of have in season one they were trying to find their footing uh, I think Timothy Oliphant who is one of my favorite actors from uh, Justified which I think is one mm-hmm. of the most underappreciated uh, shows of all time yeah it's a great show uh, 
Um, you know, as someone who does not like cop shows or cowboy shows, and that was a cowboy cop show that <laughs> I thought was absolutely fantastic. Um, but Timothy Olyphant's an amazing underused actor, and he, in the first season, he just couldn't quite nail the character of the husband. He was always like, oh, honey, oh, oh, stop eating people. And then in the second season, he kind of settled in on this, like, this is who we are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm a supportive husband. I'll do what I can. Uh <laughs> And it's a subtle change, but it really made the the whole season is about the dialogue between Drew Barrymore and Timothy Olyphant, and and so good, so tight. It's got that nineteen fifties level, like there are no pauses, like Miss Maisel kind of, you know, it's just constant wall to wall dialogue, yeah. uh, and and really fantastic. So that's my current one, and that's kind of how we roll. Is like we'll find one show and dig in deep, uh, but uh, we're also watching uh, Zumbo's Just Desserts, uh, which is an Australian cooking show hmm. on Netflix. Is that what uh, good? It keeps being suggested to me for obvious reasons, and I have not yet clicked on it. Well, I think like me, you just watched Nailed It, right? Yes, I did. This is the polar opposite of Nailed It. Like this is this is people people who actually know how to cook making things that are really ambitious and quite difficult. But after Nailed It had its own like you know prurient kind of like I just like watching people suffer mm-hmm. uh, and and so that you know very different shows but yeah no it's alright and British Baking Show British Bake Off uh, just is kind of the gold standard I can go back to that one as many times oh, for uh, sure. you know and watch that over and over <laughs> um, but anyway that's enough of us just talking about our favorite stuff um, I am kind of curious to get your your take on what what is going to change in the next few years so we've talked about Disney but in, in what other trends are you seeing AJ in terms of how the stream landscape is going to be changing. Yeah, you know, it was interesting for my uh, most recent story for Adweek. um, I really focused on how OTT and how it's affecting local TV, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I've spoken to a few people from um, major broadcast stations and they're telling me, you know, um, in five years, OTT is not going to be OTT. It's just going to be TV. Um, So people are really bullish on it. Um, They think, uh, it's, it's definitely the future, um, and it's coming down the pike. And um, you know, I, I think we should all be very ready for it. Yeah, I should, we should pause here, as I always like to do with OTT, and explain it for those who don't oh, know the sorry. term. It's, <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it is over the top, right? Right. Yes. Is the yeah. technical abbreviation, but it is from from this like Roku box era of um, it, the idea that these streaming services are. You know, and I can't remember if it actually literally means like over the top of the TV, or if it just meant over the top of your your standard subscription service. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it could be defined as either, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's really direct to consumer. Um, you know, so the whole the, the interesting thing is, you know, broadcast television. The signal went to your antenna, um, and then you know, we we went from direct to your TV to then having to buy a cable subscription. And now we're coming back to going direct to consumer. So, you know, it's sort of this odd circle of life, um, you know, so it's, it's a, it's definitely an interesting time. Well, we are uh, out of time today to talk about streaming. And yet this is one of those topics we could just keep talking about. It's, <laughs> it's just a blast. And whenever we bring this up on Twitter chat or in any of our coverage, people just really love to engage with it. So again, hit us up on Twitter. I'm just Griner, G-R-I-N-E-R. AJ, what's your Twitter? AJ Katz TV, all one word. AJ K A T Z K A T Z yeah and uh, Sammy is Sammy Main S A M I M A I N on Twitter so mm-hmm. we love hearing from you or you can always email us if you just want to be convenient at podcast at adweek.com. 
And that's it for this week. AJ, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And definitely encourage everyone to check out. If you go to adweek.com and you click on the TV and video section at the top, you'll find a lot of AJ's coverage and the rest of our TV and media team. We also have a blog called TV Newser that you'll find him on, which covers the TV news industry. Uh, And so, yeah, definitely check them all out there. Our theme music is by Home. This episode was produced by Anya Fernando and edited by Lane McGibney. Thank you, Anya. And thank you, Lane. Please take a moment, if you haven't already, to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And we're also on Spotify, so you can look for us there. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we'll be back next week.